0: Good morning. Thank you for joining us in worship today on this Palm Sunday. Today's the day that the global church celebrates the arrival of Christ in Jerusalem before he was crucified, died, and rose again from the dead in order to bring salvation uh, to the entire world. So hang in there with me this morning. At the very end of our time together, I'm going to tie what we're talking about concerning an Old Testament character named Joseph to the arrival of Jesus that we celebrate today. I want to invite you to open in your copy of God's Word, whether that be digital or a physical copy of uh, the Bible, to Genesis chapter 41. And we're going to begin in verse 46. If you've uh, tuned in sometime over the last six weeks, you already know that we're exploring the life of one of my very favorite Old Testament characters. I mentioned his name a second ago. But before we go there, um, grab your pen, grab your paper, your pencil, and uh, if you're taking notes, I just want to give you a title for our our teaching time today. Here it is God will fulfill his purposes through his people. Now, we're going to talk about this throughout our time together, but The person sitting in your seat this morning, God has a plan, and he is unfolding his plan in the world today, and he wants to use you, your gifts, your talents, your passions, your life to fulfill his purposes um, in the world, no matter whether the world around us is full of joy and celebrating or we're dealing with a pandemic and we've been trapped in our homes for weeks and weeks on end. God wants to use you for his purposes, uh, to fulfill them in the world. So I want to encourage you, take notes during our time together so that you can go back and remember what it is that God said to you through our time in his word today. It's super important. So uh, why this guy, Joseph? So who is he? Um, he was the 11th uh, son, the favorite son of a man named Jacob. He was the grandson of a man named Isaac and the great-grandson of a guy we've probably all heard of in the Bible, uh, a guy named Abraham. Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers when he was 17 years old. 17 years old, in part because he was bragging to them about a dream that he had where the brothers bowed down to him. So if you have brothers and sisters, you might be able to imagine that sort of circumstance and those sort of conversations. I can just imagine in my house, I'm sure my kids are watching right now at home, and uh, and David turns to Jaden in this moment, and he says, hey, hey brother, bow down. And uh, those conversations don't go super well, and so um, the brothers... That conversation didn't go well with them either, and they uh, sold him into slavery, sold Joseph into slavery. And of course, the brothers lied, and they told their dad that Joseph had been killed by a wild animal. Soon, Joseph um, became a leader in his new master Potiphar's house, and everything was going great until Potiphar's wife accused Joseph of sexual misconduct. And of course, this news infuriated the master, who had Joseph thrown into prison. Then... While in prison, Joseph interpreted the dreams of two men, the baker and the cupbearer of the uh, Pharaoh, the ruler of Egypt. And Joseph asked these guys, specifically the cupbearer, to remember him so that Joseph might get out of prison um, when they were released. But, But here's the thing, Joseph was forgotten. Then in last Sunday's message, we learned that the Pharaoh had a dream that no one could interpret. And suddenly, the cupbearer remembers Joseph and his ability to interpret dreams, and he told the Pharaoh about it, and Joseph was quickly brought out of prison to interpret the Pharaoh's dreams. So basically, what ended up happening in the story was that Joseph told Pharaoh that there would be seven years of plenty, followed by seven years of famine in Egypt. When Pharaoh asked Joseph what should be done, Joseph told him that it would be a good idea to appoint a wise and discerning man to gather food for seven years during the seven years of plenty, food that could be then sold and distributed to hungry people during the seven years of famine. So Pharaoh really loved this idea. So um, he appointed Joseph to fulfill that role. So in one day, Joseph went from a prisoner in jail to a ruler in Egypt, second only to the Pharaoh himself. You know, um, this is basically a review, but... You may remember for the first couple of weeks that Joseph was, um, was born into a family of promise. God made a promise to Joseph's great-grandfather, then to his grandfather, and then also to his dad, that one day a great nation would arise in their lineage, a nation that would be the people of God. But in our story for today, a global famine appears to threaten God's promises and his plans. But God. But God orchestrated Joseph's life making sure that he was in just the right place at just the right time, ready and prepared to to provide for God's people and to uh, extend God's purposes and God's plans in the world. And you know what? I think God's doing something very similar in our day today. God has made a promise um, that one day people from all nations would gather around the throne of God and would worship God, would enter a relationship with, through God, uh, with God through Jesus Christ. And millions of people in heaven one day would, would arise and worship God together forever. But you know what? Uh, I don't know if you see it this way, but um, we observe the state of the church in the world around us. And the truth is, it seems like there's very little kingdom progress. Um, in our world. Maybe it's just in in our um, city and our nation, but it seems like there's less conversions these days, less baptisms these days, less evangelism these days, less gospel community concern these days, less healthy church communities these days. (laughs) And then along comes COVID-19, not too unlike a global famine, not things that God necessarily caused, but I want to invite you this morning, ask yourself, Could it be that God plans to take our current circumstances and use them to accomplish his purposes and his plans? What could God be doing right now? Is it possible that the collective heart of the world is in dire need to the point that men and women and children around the world are becoming ready to turn to the Lord? And is it possible that the Lord has just placed you and me in just the right place, at just the right time, to be God's hands and feet and voice in the life of your neighbors, your coworkers, your friends, your family members, and maybe even in the lives of total total strangers. You know, I think it's entirely possible. In today's story, we begin to see Joseph's story come full circle. We see that God has allowed all sorts of difficulty, in Joseph's life, to prepare him to be in just the right place at just the right time, to bring about the fulfillment of God's purposes and plans and his promise. Begin reading with me in Genesis chapter 41, verse 46. It says this, Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt during the seven years of plen- uh, seven, seven plentiful years the earth produced abundantly. And he gathered up all the food of these seven years, which occurred in the land of Egypt, and put the food in the cities. He put in every city the food from the fields around it, and Joseph stored up grain in great abundance, like the sands of the sea, until he ceased to measure it, for it could not be measured." Next, verses uh, 50 and 52, these verses step away from the general narrative um, and change the subject for just a moment. So, before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph. Uh, Asnath, the daughter of um, Paphara, priest of On, bore them to him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all the hardship of my father's house. The name of the second he called Ephraim. For God made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. He replied, peace to you. Do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has put treasure in sacks for you. Uh, uh, I received your money. I actually, time out. For some reason that got inserted in my, in my notes and I didn't mean to it. For it Jump in with me in verse 53. Then we get back to the uh, story. And it says, Seven years of plenty that occurred in the land of Egypt came to an end. The seven years of famine began to, began to come, as Joseph has said. There was a famine in all the lands, but in all the land of Egypt there was no bread. When all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Joseph for bread. Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, Go to Joseph. What he says, do. So when the famine had spread all over the land, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. Moreover, all the earth came to Egypt to Joseph to buy grain, because the famine was severe over all the earth. Now pick up with me in verse 1 of chapter 42. Here Joseph's family is reintroduced. It's been a while since we've heard from them, but here they come. When Jacob, remember that's Joseph's father, who thinks Joseph is dead, "'Learned that there was grain for sale in Egypt, "'he said to his sons, "'Why do you look at one another?' "'I love that. "'And he said, "'Behold, I have heard that there is grain for sale in Egypt. "'Now go down and buy the grain for us, "'that we may live and not die.' "'So ten of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt, "'but Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, "'with his brothers, "'for he feared that harm might happen to him. "'Thus the sons of Israel came to buy among the others who came.' And the famine was in the land of Canaan. Now Joseph was governor over the land, and he was the one who sold, all the pe- sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed down themselves before him with their faces to the ground. So let's dig into this text for a few minutes. I want you to write down this, this very first point uh, for me this morning uh, so that you can look back at it later. God's people respond to God's faithfulness through worship. Now you think. Where's that in the text? I don't understand, Pastor Matt. So look at me in verses 46. Uh, oh, in verses 46 through 49 and in verses 53 through 57, we see Joseph doing the job the Lord gave him. But um, we're going to talk about that in a second. But for now, I want to focus on the subject change in verse 47 through 50. I mean, uh, in verse uh, right there in the middle where he talks about having sons. There's a pause mid-story. I think in order really to emphasize this part of the text, Um, There's a change of subject. Here we see that Joseph's now married. If you look back in verse 45, you actually see that Pharaoh provided a wife for Joseph. Not only is he married, but in the middle of all his work gathering grain, Joseph found time to have a few kids. And we have two of them mentioned here. And um, that's not the important part. But did you notice the names of the children? This is, I think it's incredibly significant. The text says that Joseph named them Manasseh and Ephraim. So Joseph gives us a little bit of meaning behind these names. He says that they mean, God has made me forget my hardship in my father's house, and God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Now those are some great names. Now we're not really in the habit necessarily of uh, coming up with the meanings or like placing as much of an emphasis on the meaning of names as they did in Bible time, but in Bible time it was a big deal. So I'm thinking maybe Elaine and I who are expecting our fifth child uh, is a son. We could name our son something like God sustained us through the coronavirus. I don't know what that name would look like, but maybe we could come up with something. Clearly over the course of two pregnancies and while Joseph's at work gathering grain, he's had some time to think about what he's going to name his sons. Um, and clearly the one thing that's on his mind from these two names is the faithfulness of God. Do you see that? God's caused me to forget my past pains in this new land, and God has brought fruitfulness in this new place, the place of my affliction. The story of Joseph's life, honestly, is a tremendous demonstration of God's faithfulness. He's got a lot to think about. If you've been following along with us in this series, you know that week after week, every point along the way, God is with Joseph, and he's helping him, and he's shaping him, and he's empowering him. And now Joseph is looking back and considering all that God has done and he's worshiping and he's praising God for his faithfulness to the point that Joseph decides to enshrine his gratefulness and his worship for God's faithfulness in the names of his children as a constant reminder from this point forward that God is faithful. So what's the point? The point is that God is always faithful to his people. And if you belong to him, no matter what your circumstances are, God is faithful to you as well whether you are on the mountaintop or in the valley, whether you are in a season of rejoicing or a season of sorrow, whether your life is everything you hoped or whether right now it's crashing down around you. For those of us in relationship with God, those of us who belong to Christ Jesus, those of us who have surrendered, we know that God is faithful and constant and unmovable. We know this. He is always with us. He is always helping us. He is always at work changing and transforming us. He is providing for us. He is empowering us. He's providing healing for us. He's faithful. And no matter what our heart, um, and no matter what, our heart is thankful and filled with the worship of God too, just like Joseph. So why is this important? Because God wants to use you during this season of difficulty. He wants to put you to work for his glory, the good of his people and the salvation of the lost around you. But you need to have a relationship with him, not any relationship, the sort of relationship where you're completely yielded, fully trusting and confident in the faithfulness and the sovereignty of God. When you give yourself over to God and you begin to trust in him like that, you are ready to be used of the Lord for his purposes and his plans if you have a relationship with God where you are yielding and trusting, God will guide you and use you as a world-changing instrument in his hands. I want you to see that. Write Write this down. This is number two. God gives ability and responsibility for his mission to his people. God gives ability and responsibility for his mission to his people. It's right there on your screen. Look again with me at verses 46 through 49. The text says, I won't read it again, that Joseph gathered grain from fields into storehouses and cities all over Egypt. Can you imagine the people Joseph commanded in order to make that happen? He led the people to gather so much that they collected uh, enough where it could no longer be counted, like the sand of the seashore. As a pastor, I've found that truthfully in interacting with people, When faced with the opportunity to serve or share the gospel or be used of God, I feel that um, most people think that what God is calling them to do or leading them to do is beyond their capacity. And when we function in our flesh for just a moment, we have a tendency to go, I don't know that I can do that. And we don't. But let me tell you something. When you're in relationship with God, when Christ is in charge... When God is faithful, you can know that God is faithful to prepare you, to enable you, to empower you, to be a part of his redemption plan in the world. During this season, God may be calling you to share the gospel with a neighbor. He may be calling you to get involved in community ministry, distributing food, or helping with some other project. He may be giving you the opportunity to serve a neighbor or a friend, or a family member. He may be guiding you to buy or deliver groceries to someone in need, or to speak a kind word in the store, or to get on the phone and check on your neighbors and your classmates and your coworkers. And you might think, I don't want to do that. I'm dealing with so much. Church, be careful. Remember who you serve the one that has done so much and is doing so much for you, the one that is sufficient. Or you might think, not I don't want to, but I don't know that I can do that. Church, be careful. Sir, you serve a faithful God who is shaping you and who is empowering you. Make sure you, your answer is never a quick No. Quick no's are usually no's that spring from the flesh unless they're absolutely confirmed in the word. Consider, is this thing being given to me by the Lord? Is this opportunity in front of me of the Lord? Pray about it. Consider what God's word teaches about serving others. Then if God says no, then no. But if he does not say no, then go. Then get busy and submit to God's shaping and to his power and get busy serving. Walk fearlessly because we have a faithful God. God has a great plan to redeem people from all nations, and you're a big part of that plan. You, the church, are God's plan to get the gospel out. You are God's plan to offer the hope of Christ Jesus to the world around us, to share it and to show it and call people to repentance. So don't doubt God's calling and his plan, and don't use your perceived inabilities as an excuse or your fears, because we have a faithful God who's shaping you and empowering you. We talked about that last week. Next, notice that God gave opportunity to serve God and people. Write that down. Number three, God calls calls people to serve him by serving others. God calls people to serve him by serving others. In verses 53 through 57, we find Joseph is certainly a leader from the outside looking in. He's second in command of the Pharaoh and overseeing a huge operation. But remember, Joseph is actually, from day one in his story, a servant of God. He is serving God in this capacity. God gave him this job. God gave him this task. And he's doing it as an act of worship and obedience. You know, some jobs... With come with external honor, some don't, but that doesn't really matter nearly as much as who we serve. We need to recognize that in everything God gives us to do in the world, we do it for Him as an act of obedience and worship. And when God gives us something to do, it involves it will involve serving other people and meeting the needs in the world around us because God has a heart for the salvation of the world, and we're His instruments. Remember that Joseph's tasks throughout his life have been focused on serving others. He served in Potiphar's house. He served the cupbearer and the baker. He served other prisoners. He served the Pharaoh in the interpretation of a dream. And now Joseph is serving all the people of the land, even the world, by providing food for them. God has chosen to set Joseph as an instrument of service that literal hands and feet of God, in the world, in the lives of others. Our God is people-focused. His plan involves the redemption of the lost, and he's chosen to ser- that, that you serve him and others for the sake of the salvation of the world around us. He wants to use you and me to meet practical needs, to share the good news of Christ, and, and to share the good news of Christ during these days. Ask yourself, as a servant of God, who can you serve? What need can you meet right now? Can you use your time to be a blessing to other people around you? A couple of weeks ago, our church was given the opportunity to receive some free food. And when I say free food, I don't mean a little bit of free food. I mean a lot of free food, like a truckload of free food. My first thought was, just like we talked about, that's too big for us, or we can't do that. I'm not capable. I don't, frankly, want to do that. But I can tell you the Holy Spirit was right there. And the Holy Spirit was like, at least ask some questions. And in that process, the Lord gently reminded me that he would uh, open the doors, that he would make the provision that he would do the work through me and through us. So Pastor Augustine and Laura and uh, yesterday Keelan and Jessica and Shane and Cassidy and my neighbor Ashley and, and others of the last couple of weeks, Metairie Church folks practicing lots of social distancing practices, went over to a sister church to pick up food. When I say that my vehicle was crammed with food, uh, b- both this weekend and this, and last weekend, It was crammed with food, like floor to ceiling, under the seats. I mean, all the way full except for where I was sitting in the front seat driving the car. So we went to pick up this food, and everybody else's cars were slammed full of food. And uh, Lauren Augustine went to, went, to, went to distribute to a group of people. Um, Jessica and Shane went to distribute to a group of people. Keelan and others went to, to distribute to other groups of people. And uh, my neighbor and I and my children distributed to the neighbors in, in my neighborhood. And um, can I tell you that I underestimated what the Lord might do? And uh, our family... And my next-door neighbor, we distributed food in our neighborhood. And let me tell you, God's at work. And it's not one of these things where the whole neighborhood came out into the streets and were like, we want to give our lives to Jesus. Because it doesn't work that way. But can I tell you that the Holy Spirit has invaded the cracks and the crevices of people's hearts through this simple act of kindness? I got a note in my mailbox yesterday, a little card. And uh, I want to read it to you. It's from one of my neighbors. I'll leave their names out. But it says, um, and this is, this is cool because it's also a demonstration of, um, of the fact that God works in a variety of ways um, in one person's life. And we don't even realize it's happening. But it says, thank you so much for the food and for the flowers. We really appreciate it. We look forward to attending a service at Metairie Church when all this chaos is past. We were both unaware of the church, but we were standing on Severn Avenue during the Metairie par- Mardi Gras parades a few, a few weeks ago when we saw you and your daughter uh, inviting people into the church. It's implied here that, she, that this person got on the website and saw that I'm one of the campus pastors here. And then um, this person says, thank you for everything that you're doing, always. And then she signs her name, her husband's name, and her dog's name um, on the card. And uh, she makes mention of my children and seeing them in the neighborhood. And can I just tell you, you never really know all the ways that God's at work in a person's life. But you need to be willing and available to serve. In this particular instance, on a Mardi Gras parade route, same family, seeing my kids love their dog. (laughs) Same family receiving food from Metairie Church. Then a note drops in the mailbox. I want you to know it. We'd love the opportunity when all this settles down to come and be a part of your church. Wow. You see what God can do? You see how God might work when you just take small little opportunities throughout your day to listen to the Lord and follow the Lord? Um, God's at work. Church Be ready to serve God by meeting the needs of others. Prayerfully look for ways to be a helper, and God will open the door. And when he does, walk through it. Walk through it and just test him. See what he might do. So finally, write this down, last last idea. God fulfills his purposes and his his plans and his promises through his people. He fulfills his purposes, plans, and promises through his people. He's got a grand plan. Our part might be in the micro and the little things, but God is at work fulfilling his grand plan through his people. Look at chapter 42, verses 1 through 6. I won't read it again, but we read it a few minutes ago. Here the story changes again. Joseph's family is now introduced again to the plot line. The whole world is experiencing famine. Everybody's hungry. Thousands are beginning to starve to death. And Jacob says to his sons, just stop staring at each other guys go down to egypt and buy us some food so 10 of jacob's sons all of them except for the youngest benjamin went down to egypt benjamin that's a good name now we're not going to, we're not going to get into all of what happened in egypt this week i mean it's just too much it's like three or four chapters we're actually going to do that next week um But for the sake of our time together today, the brothers showed up, and just like Joseph dreamed many years before, they bowed down and they begged for grain. Do you remember the story? Joseph had this dream at the very beginning that led to his life kind of falling apart and him being this servant, but his brothers sold him into slavery. He had this dream where his brothers would bow down. Well, now they have. They come to Joseph. Joseph is... Haircuts different. Joseph's clothes are different. He's added 14 or 15 years to his life. They do not recognize Joseph. He's, a, he's um, immersed himself in a different culture and a community. So there's, there's not a familiarity. And so um, they don't recognize him, but they come and they bow down before their own brother and ask for grain. So what's the deal here? What's the point that you're driving at, Pastor? So I'm glad you asked. Good job. Here's the truth. God put a vision And a dream in Joseph's heart. He didn't fully understand it, but it it came true. And God has put a dream in our hearts. He's put a calling because the Holy Spirit is in us in every Christian's heart. He's put it in there and you may not fully understand it. You may not grasp all the details about it, but there's a dream that God has for the world that God by the word and by the spirit is bringing about that he has placed in your heart. Let me tell you something. There is not a person that is genuinely knows the goodness of God's salvation that does not have this dream and desire to be used of God in some way to see others embrace the gospel and come to know the sweetness of the grace of God. Every believer who's been transformed, who has tasted and seen the goodness of God, who understands what Christ accomplished for them on the cross, every believer that has read that verse that calls us to make disciples of all nations, the Spirit causes that truth to burn in our hearts the Lord begins to give us and shape in us a dream that we would be able to be a part in some way of being the hands and feet and voice of Christ in the world, bringing the hope and salvation of God to our neighbors and our friends and our family members and to the world. When we surrender our lives to Christ and we begin to follow in his will and his ways, we soon realize that, that this is our calling and we soon grow to embrace God's desire and his plans and his purposes. And it's a lot long before God puts those dreams in our hearts for the sake of the salvation of the world. And when we walk faithfully saying yes to serving others. And, look, and we look for opportunities to build relationships and to share the good news. God will bring it about. He will open doors. He will make his dreams in your heart come true. There will be people that you encourage, that you share with, that you love, who will come to know the sweetness of God's mercy and the sweetness of God's grace. God intends to use you to provide the good news of the gospel to those he will save. Like he used Joseph to bring food to the nations, he will use you to bring the good news of Christ to the world thus fulfilling God's promise that he will bring um, from among the, nation, among the nation's people into his eternal kingdom. So I got one more final thought um, today. It's not a point, it's just uh, maybe a tie up. It's a conclusion. It's Palm Sunday today, the day that the global church celebrates the arrival of Jesus in Jerusalem just before he goes to the cross. On the day Jesus arrived, the city was electrified. They were excited. They were excited that Christ had come, that the Messiah had arrived, that the King was near. The problem is they had a different expectation for him than the plans would soon reveal. So within a week, the crowds that cheered the arrival of Jesus were soon shouting, crucify him. You know, the crowd misunderstood Jesus. But you know what? They did get one thing right that the arrival of Jesus' salvation is worthy of celebration. The world was dark, and the light of God's salvation had come, and it's worth celebrating. Guess what? Christ has come, and his salvation has been realized. And Christian friend, you possess it. And what you bring into the neighborhood through your serving and sharing of the gospel, it might not be celebrated by everyone or even those that you serve. But let me tell you something. I can promise you this. The Father sent the Son so that you could be saved and be sent. And your arrival with the gospel is worth celebrating. As a matter of fact, whether the world around you is celebrating or not, I promise you that if you go and serve and you go and share the gospel and you fulfill the dream that God has put in your your heart, that there are angels in heaven on the edge of their seats a good father watching, a son that is cheering because Jesus has arrived and his arrival is being accomplished through you. So let's go and be the hands and feet and voice of the one who came and secured the salvation of the world. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for the life of Joseph and all the ways that we see him demonstrate um, his love for you. God, I thank you that he trusted in your faithfulness And that it led him to worship. And that his worship didn't just look like songs that he sang, but that his worship looked like turning his life into the path, into the flow of God's mission in the world. God, I know that your redeemed are scattered all over the place right now because of this virus. Our attention is in different places, but also people's hearts are softer. God, I pray that we would see your faithfulness during this time and that you would lead each one of us to worship you, not just in song, but through service to others. Not just not in our gathering, but in our declaration of the good news of Christ in our neighborhood among, and among family and friends and coworkers. God, I pray that your church would become like the early church who was scattered by suffering, that we would step out, step away from our cell phones and step away from our regular rhythms and step away from the typical distractions and that we would receive the sufficiency of Christ in our suffering that we, and that we would worship by stepping in and stepping out and loving and serving and declaring and encouraging for the sake of the good news of Christ coming home in the hearts of lost men and women and boys and girls. God, I pray in these days that there would be countless thousands, even millions that because of the love of Christ in the church and the ways that the church is obeying Christ in obedience and in worship, that there would be hundreds and thousands and even millions of people who come to genuine faith in Jesus Christ that find the hope of the salvation of God. Jesus, we love you. We love you for doing all that you have done in us. We thank you for coming, for bursting on the scene in Jerusalem, that Palm Sunday, those those many years ago, and for submitting to the Father and suffering and going to the cross and laying your life down for us. Thank you for opening the door for salvation to us and to the world. We love you and we worship you now in song and the rest of the day and the rest of the week and the rest of the year in the way that we demonstrate and declare the good news of Christ Jesus to our neighbors and our friends. In Jesus' name we pray.